I know that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What do you do to experience God's pleasure? How do you worship God? As we begin this morning, I'd like to read to you the passage that we're going to be looking at. It starts, it's in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of heaven, from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning asking you to teach us. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we would hear from you what we need desperately to hear from you this morning. That you would be teaching us what it means to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In your name, amen. What do you do to worship? What do you do to experience God, to connect with God? Where do you feel his pleasure in your life? For Eric Little, the man that we saw depicted in the, chariots of fire, the clip from Chariots of Fire, running was one of the ways he worshipped God. He was a missionary kid born in northern China, and he would spend the rest of his adult life serving as a missionary in China. But he was also a superb athlete, he excelled in rugby, he excelled in cricket, but it was sprinting that had his heart. It was be- the reason it had his heart is he knew that his speed was a gift from God. When he ran, he recognized he was using something that God had given to him, and so he trained his body, and he enjoyed the speed that God gave him. I love looking at pictures of Eric Little when he's running. You can find them on Google, I promise. But when he's running, you will see in every single one, his head is thrown back in pleasure. Because in that moment, he was experiencing God's presence and God's joy. How do you worship? How do you connect with God? Those of you who have had probably a longer than five-minute conversation know that one of the things that I have been studying, one of the things that I have been learning about for the past couple years is worship. I want to know what it is. I want to know what it looks like. I want to know what it means to honor God and worship him with the entirety of my life. This is what I have found. And I think it's something that Eric Little knew well and others like him. 
that there is no moment too small in my life, there is no moment too big in my life, that it cannot be used as a moment of worship, a moment where I can connect with God, where I can be learning from Jesus, where I can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Worship is realized when all of who I am responds to all of who God is in the contexts in which he places me. Worship is realized when all of who I am responds to all of who God is in the context in which he places me. Let's walk our way through the scripture. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? At this point in time in Israel's history, the law was a hot topic. It makes sense. The law was that God-given gift to his people that told if you told people that if you were part of the kingdom of God, if you were one of God's people, this is how you should live. This is what God expects of you. This is what you do to live within the orbit of God's grace. That's what the law is. And so the Pharisees and the scribes would sit together and they would talk about the law and they would search it looking for summary statements that they could learn and they could teach that would be easy to remember. And as they found these summary statements, they would rank them as far as what their, the first and most important and greatest commandments were. So it's not surprising that when you look at the Gospels, we see this question being posed to Jesus three times, once in Matthew, once in Mark, and once in Luke, all in a slightly different situation. There's a good chance he was asked more times than what are recorded. And every single time he responded the same way. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh, the Lord God, is our God. He is the God that gives us our focus. He is the God that gives us our identity. He is the God that gives us our worth because he is God alone. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is all-knowing. He is gracious. He is provider. He is holy. He is just. He is merciful. He is loving. And because of who he is, we will hear him. The word that Moses uses in Deuteronomy is Shema. It means to hear. But it doesn't mean just to hear and recognize that there are sounds going on. If you're a parent, you know what it's like to speak to your children and have what your request is not happen. And you ask your kid, did, did you hear what I said? Yes, mom. Then why is your room not clean? Why, what happened here? When God talks to us because of who he is, we need to hear him. We need to listen to him. And we need to be changed and transformed from the hearing. You cannot truly hear the word from the Lord. You cannot truly hear God and not be changed for the hearing. Not have your life change. So hear and obey. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Biblically speaking, the heart is the center of the will. The center of your creativity, of your imagination. 
And so when I love God with all of my heart, my focus is the purposes of God. I want to be about what God is about in my life. When I go about my job, when I interact with my family, when I go about those mundane things that I have to do every day in my life, I want to be about the purposes of God while I do those things. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our soul. The soul is that deepest part of who you are. It is that thing that gives us as humans that unique ability to have a deep and intimate relationship with God. It is that thing that allows us finite beings, us limited things, people, to have a relationship with an infinite God. And so when I love God with all, of my or with all of my soul, what I am saying is I am going to refuse and relinquish that all-too-human impulse to create a kingdom of my own design and after my own image. Instead, I am going to place myself in submission. I'm going to place myself as the servant in the kingdom of God. And I am going to be about my king's business. We are called to love God with all of our mind. Our mind is our thoughts and our feelings. And so as we love God with all of our mind, as we look at our lives, that means we're going to look at our family and our friends and our coworkers and our bosses and our employees and those people that we randomly pass on the street. As we consider our jobs our schools, our communities, our nation, and our country. We are, our, our goal is to think about those things and to feel those things, feel about those things the way God does. When I love God with all of my, my mind, I'm going to be curious about my world, and I'm going to think and feel about my world as God does. Finally, he says... You love the Lord your God with all of your strength. Your body is a powerhouse for worship. When you feed and you fuel it and you exercise it and you rest it and you treat it the way it needs to be treated, it gives you the power you need to accomplish your purposes, to accomplish your goals. It gives you what you need to be able to worship God in the other aspects of our lives. Your body can be a source of blessing. Your strength can be a source of blessing to the world around you as you interact and go about your daily business and daily things. And so when I love the Lord my God with all of my strength, I'm saying, Lord, I am going to feed and fuel and rest and train my body and use it to accomplish the purposes of my heart, mind, and soul as I stay focused on you. What Jesus is pointing to here is not that our body has these four different quadrants that we need to be thinking about and checking the boxes and looking for more things to do. What he's saying is that worship, that loving God, that interacting with God is a full contact sport. It is not just this thing that our heart responds to God with. It is the entirety of your being responding to God. Worship is when all of who I am responds to all of who God is in the context in which he places me. 
The second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those of you who are listening notice that the man asked for one command. And Jesus responded with two. I promise this is not because Jesus can't count. What he's saying is, there is no way for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and hate our neighbor. There is no way for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and not love the people that God loves. Every single one of us is loved by God. Even if there's people in your life that you pass that you don't think they're very lovable, God loves that person. And so when I love my neighbor, it means that when I look, interact with the people in my world, my family, my friends, the people who live near me, the people in my community, my coworkers, my boss, my clients, my teachers, my co-students, my, um, the person that you walk down the street and you see, that person who can zap your strength the moment they walk into the room, that person who has hurt you, it means that I am going to love them. I am going to look at them and recognize in them someone who is beloved by God. And I am going to desire God's best for them. I'm going to desire God's goodness in their lives. I'm going to figure out what it means to forgive them. I'm going to figure out what it means to love them and to support them and pray. And sometimes that means when you're walking down the street, you meet people's eyes and you smile. Because you are recognizing in them that they are a person of worth. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. I don't know if this man came hungry for an answer from Jesus. And when Jesus spoke, he heard the authority in his voice and he said, yes, that's what I've been looking for. I don't know if this was a man who was already after the heart of God and when Jesus spoke, he recognized in him a kindred perspective. I don't know. But either way, as Jesus spoke, the man's heart was saying, yes. And by saying that to love God and to love our neighbors is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices is not to say that they're unimportant, but it's to identify that at the very heart of the law, at the very heart of the existence of a person of God, of someone who resides in God's kingdom, is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There isn't, there's nothing more important than that. When Jesus saw that the man had answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I think so often when we hear the term kingdom of God, we think of that far off eternal place. We think of the words in Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
I think sometimes we read those words and we think of the promises of God for eternity and we say, yes, Lord Jesus, come. And we yearn for a time where words like cancer no longer strike fear in our hearts. Where we can send our children outside to play on the streets and we don't have to worry about their safety. Where abuse and betrayal and addiction and hate are no longer part of our, our world. Where countries are no longer torn apart by war and malice. We long for that time, we, and more, mostly we long for a time where we can see God face to face, where we can talk to him, where we can audibly hear his voice, and we can interact with him in the fullness of who he is. And we say, we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. And the kingdom of God is all of that, but it's more as well. The kingdom of God exists now. The kingdom of God is everywhere where his reign is present, everywhere his grace is present, everywhere he is present, the kingdom of God is present. And as we interact with God, as we worship him with the fullness of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and we love the people around them, not only are we experiencing the kingdom of God now, but we become kingdom bringers to a desperate and broken world around us. How do you worship? What do you do to connect with God? How do you experience his presence? Worship is realized when all of who I am responds to all of who God is in the context in which he places me. Now I'm guessing there's some of you who may be sitting there going, um, what? There are aspects of my life that just don't seem that important. Does God really care about the small things in my life? Does he care about whether I do the laundry, go grocery shopping? Does he care about how I do my schoolwork? Does he care about how I run my business? Does he really care about how I spend my time watching TV or reading? Within reason. I mean, we know that he doesn't want us looking at porn and stuff like that. But outside of that, if it's not really bad, does he really care? And we wonder, because our culture has done such a good job of saying the things of God over here are over here, and they're sacred. And that's studying the scripture. That's prayer. That's gathering together to worship God through music and prayer and in God's message and, and fellowship. And we've taken, this, taken that time and we've kind of put it over there and made it safe and we've protected that time. And then we look at the stuff over here, the rest of our life, and we see it as somehow separate from the realm of faith, from the realms of worship. And I think sometimes it goes further than that. I think sometimes we, we understand that God loves us, but we almost kind of think that God loves us as part of the herd. That when God so, God so loved the world, but does he really, really love me? There are great men and women of the faith who have changed this world. Names like Billy Graham or Eric Little are huge names in the faith, and we see them, and we see other men and women who are teaching, and who are pastors, or who are missionaries, and who are doing great things for God, and of course their worship means something, but does God really care about me? Does God really care about my worship? 
Does God really care? I'm not, I'm not going to change the world. And we can get trapped into that thinking. The reality is, is that each one of us has a place as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. That each one of us is wired uniquely. We have our own gifts and talents and abilities. We have things that we love unlike anything other. We all have mundane moments in our lives that we just kind of do to get through. And God loves all of that in you. And he wired you the way that you are. And only you can serve God in his kingdom and can worship God in his kingdom the way you do. Nobody else can. And he desires your worship. And while you may not think that God cares whether, for instance, you do your laundry regularly, if you love your neighbor, you're going to keep up with your laundry so that you're not wearing the same thing for 10 days straight. And, you know, there are things that we do in our lives that show our love for God and show our, our love for the people around us that may seem small, but they are all and can all be part of bringing the kingdom. What do you do to worship? What do you do to experience God? Worship is best realized in your life when all of who you are responds to all of who God is in the context in which he places you. And even though that may seem huge and daunting or whatever is in your mind right now, the reality is, is that it's as we worship God that we experience what it means to be human the way it was intended. When God created our first parents, he created them without sin. And they enjoyed an existence with him that was no, there was no divide. They could walk with God in the garden. They could talk with him. They could hear his voice. They could learn directly with him, from him. And they enjoyed an intimate relationship with God. And then they decided instead of being servants to the king of the garden and the master of the garden, they said, I would rather build my own kingdom according to my own image. And we have been building our own kingdoms ever since apart from God. But it is as we worship, as we come back into the orbit of God's grace, as we experience his presence, that we start to see life the way it was always intended. And it's huge. You will spend a lifetime learning what it means to worship God. Teresa of Avelia was a 15th or 16th century nun in Spain, and she talks about um, the soul and the human is having an interior castle. And as we grow in a relationship with God, we invite God into one room of our castle, and then the next, and then the next. And as he moves in, slowly our kingdoms that are built to reflect ourselves are transformed into the kingdom of God within our own lives. Close your eyes for a minute. What would your life look like if you lived a life fully in the kingdom of God? What would your life look like if how you interact with the people in your life, if how you ran your business, if how you did your schoolwork, if how you did your shopping and spent your money, if how you spent your pastime, 
if all of those things became an aspect of worship? How would things change if you started looking for the Holy Spirit to move and show up in your life and you saw him doing that? When you think about your life now and what, life, what that life might look like, what are the barriers that you see? What are the things that hold you back from living that way? Open your eyes. Perhaps some of you struggle with patience. There are things that we can do in our everyday life that will help us to grow through these things that we struggle with, these barriers that we have. If you struggle with patience, for the next month, every time you get on 264 or 64, purposely drive in the slow lane. It'll teach you patience. Or get into this, the longest line at the grocery store, especially if you see people pulling out their checkbooks. If you struggle with worry, if you are anxious all the time, don't put your worry over here and try to pretend it's not there. Pick it up, take it to God, talk to him about it. Lord, this is what is stressing me out. I can't cope with this. I'm anxious. This is the way I'm feeling. Get it all out. And when you're finished, say, but Lord, I trust you. I trust you to guide me through this. Don't, take, tell him, don't ask him to take it away. You need to walk through it. But ask for him to walk through it with you. And then be looking for him to be providing those things that you need to navigate that path. Do you struggle with anger? When you feel the anger starting to bubble... Hit the pause button and ask yourself, is it worth my time to be angry about this? So often we get angry because our feelings have been hurt or because we're not getting our own way. And so sometimes just asking that question, is it even worth my time to be angry with this, can start to avoid the explosions. And when it is worth your time, ask yourself, what can I be doing to better this situation? How can I be bringing God's goodness into this situation? There are things that we can do in our everyday lives that will help bring the kingdom of God into our lives and will train us for life in the kingdom. I'm not talking about adding something new to your schedule. I'm talking about learning how to train yourself so you can be living within the presence of God. But how do you do that? It starts here. You cannot live in the kingdom of God if you do not know the king. And so you need to be in your Bible. You need to be studying your Bible. You need to be seeing how he reveals himself on the pages of this book. Because as you see that, you will start to see how he is revealing himself on the pages of your own story and in your own daily life. And on top of that, there's no way you're going to be able to live in the kingdom if you're not even sure you can trust the king. And so by seeing that he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow through the pages of scripture and how he reveals himself today will build that trust. 
We need to know that when the creator of this world set the world in motion, he knew what he was talking about when he told us how best to live. Don't just read books about God or books about the Bible. Read the Bible. You need to be in God's word. And you don't need to do it by yourself. We have some great opportunities here at Spring Branch to help you learn and grow as you, as you study scripture and you grow in your faith. My personal favorite is Faith and Life Ministries because that's what I organize. And I do my best to make sure those classes are set up to help you have discussions and to learn how to bring faith and life together. Ladies, there's a sign out in the hallway for women's ministry coming up this fall. There's some great classes there, and you can have fellowship as you learn and you grow together. And there's a men's ministry table as well. We also need to be praying. Talk to God. Talk to him about your day. Talk to him about what's on your heart. Talk to him about what's exciting you. Talk to him about what's saddening you. Get it out. He wants to hear from you. He may know what's on your heart, but there's something special about communicating it to him. And then learn how to pause and to listen. Learn how to sense his nudges as he speaks back. Learn how to listen for his voice. You don't do this alone. Learning to live in the kingdom of God, learning to live a life that is marked first and foremost by worship is a group event. The Holy Spirit will guide you if you but ask. And join with other friends who are on a similar journey in the kingdom of God. And don't just be a resident of the kingdom of God, but bring the kingdom of God to the world that you live in. This world desperately needs it. How do you worship how do you experience God? My hope and my prayer after this morning is that you've started to think about different ways that you can invite God into your life. Perhaps about when you think about the things that you love to do, the things that give you energy and joy, you will ask him to join you there and recognize those things as being a gift from him. Because worship is when all of who I am responds to all of who God is in the context in which he's places, he placed me. And even though that seems big and maybe daunting, the reality is it is as we worship God, as we truly connect with him with all of who we are, that we learn how to live life the way it was always intended. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are God and you are God alone. We thank you that you are our God and you have called us into relationship with you. You have called us to be residents of your kingdom and kingdom bringers alongside you. Lord, I ask that you would be teaching us as we go from here what it means to love you with the entirety of who we are, what it means to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it truly means to love all of our neighbors. God, we thank you that you desire our participation with you in a relationship with us. In your name, amen.